following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 44 this morning. And uh, let me just kind of give you a brief thought before we jump into the sermon. So what I've allowed other guys to do in, in the Psalm series is to pick their favorite psalm. And then what I'm doing is I'm filling in the blanks where those psalms haven't been picked. So you're going to find as I get up to preach, my sermons are going to have this dark, hard feel to them because nobody wants to pick these psalms. (laughs) They pick Psalm 23. They pick Psalm 1. They pick you know, something that's really dear to their heart about God lifting the soul, right? And uh, this morning is not that. So uh, just want to just prepare you ahead of time uh, so you understand this isn't Pastor Dave saying, you know, he's got something to say to y'all, right? This is just where we're landing because what I want to do by the end of time we get to the end of our summer psalms times is have a, a plethora of psalms and sermons that you could pull out and just say, I want to hear a sermon on that psalm. And you're going to have a psalm that you could have a sermon on. Uh, that's the goal of this whole time that we're together. We will not preach all 150 psalms this summer. So just be prepared for that, okay? Now, if you're anything like me, you, you like simplicity. Um, I love simplicity. I do not like complicated. Um, directions for a building project. I just need them simple. Uh, anybody who knows me knows I have a hard time reading a tape measure. Um, uh, we have a brother in the church, Scott Evans, who walked me through my pergola project, and he will give you laughing stories about working with Dave York on this. I just, I said, I need, I just need it simple. Just give it to me simple. And then I would do something, and then he, I'd tell him the next day what it had done, and he'd just laugh. Like, he said, we're literally on the ground laughing at you. And it was really helpful, right? It was really fun. Uh, but directions for a building, for, I just want them simple. How to hit a baseball. It's not simple, but I want to teach kids and people in simplicity how to do this. Let's not make it complicated. See the ball, hit the ball, and run really fast. I mean, let's just make it simple, right? I, one pet peeve of mine, maybe it's not for you, is can the restaurant menu be simple? I, I don't know how many times I've gone to certain restaurants, and I'm looking at my wife, and I'm like, what is this ingredient? What, what, is, what is this? And she's like, I don't know. Uh, Siri, what is? And we're like, you know, and then, and we're like, and it's complicated. I just, it's like, I, I'm not, I don't like complicated. I like things simple, just laid out in front of me. I don't like innuendos. I don't like trying to read between the lines. I mean, I, I am literally the punch me in the face guy. Like, just give me the truth. Tell it to me. I don't want to read things. I'm not good with veiled truths. I don't like trying to figure out conspiracy theories. That is a complete, like for me, it's like, oh my, who cares? Right? I mean, good grief. There's so many behind this story. Okay, yes, there's a dark web. I don't want to care about it. I just am not that guy. I like things simple. Anybody else like things simple? Right? Yeah, okay, great. You're among friends, right? I like my coffee hot. I like my hot dogs with mustard. Do not put mayonnaise and ketchup on a hot dog. Just mustard. On. And I like lots of pepperoni on a pizza. Lots. Right? And listen, when we do, when we do a potluck, just, just two simple items would go. Fried chicken, 
chocolate pie. I mean, that's just, we're just good. I mean, now what's going to happen, we're going to have one potluck one time. It's going to be fried chicken, apple pie, I mean, uh, chocolate pie. And everybody's going to look around going, where's the green stuff? I'm like, green does not belong in a potluck. What belongs in a potluck is stuff that clogs your arteries. That's what starts there, right? Simple. I just want life simple. I, I, I don't know anybody else. I just want life that way. But let's be really clear. Life isn't simple. As a matter of fact, it's, it's really complicated. Right? The marriage that you thought was going to last forever is hit with unfaithfulness or early death. The job you thought would be your meal ticket falls apart. The friends you thought were faithful aren't. The kids you raised to follow Christ don't. Life is complicated. As much as we want them simple, they're not. And most of the times, listen, we don't have answers for any of it. Why did things turn sour in our jobs? Why did things go from bad to worse in my health? Why did the church that we love so much suddenly split? And sometimes, if we're just brutally honest with one another, which we need to be, the darkness doesn't lift. The fog lingers and the sun never shines. What it feels like, if, if you're into children's books like we have been as a family, it's like Narnia. It always seems like winter. And what makes this really challenging in the American Christian culture is that we read stories in the Bible of God saving his people and promises um, who, for those whose hearts are completely faithful to God and we assume if we follow the Lord, things will work out for our good right here. Life will be simple. It'll be great. Achievement will follow, and blessing will be ours. As a matter of fact, you're told that from one line of theology in our culture that is running rampant everywhere that basically says things like, you just manifest things out of your mouth and they come to be. But what happens when it doesn't? What happens when the blessings don't follow? Earthly success doesn't come. The baby still dies. The sickness becomes terminal. And the bank account is depleted. What then? What then? And listen, maybe that's you this morning. You can't seem to get over the hump. Success seems like trying to grab jello. You ever tried to grab jello? It's impossible. Things seem dark and bleak. Or maybe you're not there, but I can tell you this from years of experience. You will either be there one day or you're going to encounter somebody that is there. Life is not ideal and things don't fit into nice tidy boxes. 
No matter how nice and tidy we want to keep them. Life gets out of the box. And it happens often. And what's crazy is, probably, chances are, it may be happening to somebody sitting next to you right now. And you don't even know it. See, while it's true that God will never leave us or forsake us, let's be honest, there are times it feels like he has. Or at a minimum, he's at least not paying attention. And here's a question for us. What do you do when the darkness doesn't lift? What do you do when the sun never shines? And that's what you're going to study this morning in Psalm 44. You see why nobody wants to pick this psalm? It's companion psalm in Psalm 89. You can look at that sometime. And here's what I hope we're going to learn this morning. There are times in history and in life when it seems like God is not helping his people. In times like these, faithfulness to God doesn't always bring worldly achievement. But it is successful in the eyes of God. Now use those words on purpose. Because we think to ourselves, faithfulness to God is success, but that doesn't mean earthly achievement. We've got to get those categories correct. There are times in history and in life when it seems like God is not helping his people. In times like these, faithfulness to God doesn't always bring worldly achievement, but it is successful in the eyes of God. That's why you've heard me say from this pulpit over and over again, success in church work, success in the Christian life is faithfulness to God. That does not mean earthly achievement. Those, those two things do not match. Now, Psalm 44 is, a, is an interesting psalm. More than likely, it was written during King David's reign at a really odd time. It was written when the people of Israel were encountering military defeat after military defeat, which was odd for David. They can't seem to get over the hump for victory, and they cannot find out why. Psalm 44 is a community lament. So it was written by a certain, some certain writers meant for the entire community to come together and basically say, God, we need you. You're going to notice very personal pronouns in this psalm throughout, and you're going to notice it's very raw, very real. It's coming from a people who know of God's hand in their past. They've trusted in God's power in the present, and yet they're still experiencing defeat. Their darkness hadn't lifted. That's what Psalm 44 is. So please stand with me, if you can, and we're going to read all 26 verses of it. And then we will lay our hearts before the Lord. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor by their own arms save them. 
but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor in my sword, nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us from our foes and have put the shame, have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we give thanks to your name forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You've made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us. Though we have not forgotten you. And we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had not forgotten the name of the Lord our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us. For the sake of your steadfast love. Let's pray. Father, we are so culturally affluent and successful and comfortable that to hear and understand that darkness may not lift, that struggle may not be stopped, that defeat may face us and put us on our face is hard for us to imagine. Oh, how we need the presence of your Spirit to open our eyes to not just your promises, but to your great character, to your steadfast love. So this morning, would you Open the eyes of our hearts to the height and depth and breadth and length of your great love for your people of which we will never be separated from because of Christ. Help us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated.
Now let's start by the first point in your outline, which is past victories remembered. You'll see this in verses 1 through 8. In verses 1 through 3, the psalmist wrote that the current people of Israel had heard about Israel's past victories and what deeds God or works God had done for them. He drove out nations. He planted his people in their promised land. He afflicted their enemies, but he always saved his people. And all these things they knew, their fathers had told them, happened not because of their military might or their expertise, but because the Lord brought victory. Notice verse 3 says that these victories happened because of God's right hand, which is like the, the arm of strength, and his arm, and that the light of his face, or his countenance, was turned toward them because he delighted in them. And in verses 4 through 8, the psalmist then makes this personal to the current state of the Israelites. After declaring their submission to God as their king and asking him to ordain victory, the psalmist applied the very same God-centered, faith-filled perspective of the people of old to their current state of affairs. They recognize that God is the one who saved them. He's the one who routed those who came against them. They put no trust in their military might, their bow or their swords or the strength of their hand, but they put their trust in the hand and power of God. And throughout verses 4 through 8, you'll notice the psalmist applying the same trust in the Lord that the people of the past had who saw great victories. It's as if the community of people are saying, Lord... We have heard of the good old days, and our parents have told us about how you brought about victory. We've put our faith in you just like they did to save us. Now, knowing the historical context of Psalm 44 and the defeats that these people were facing helps us see verses 1 through 8 in their proper light. And we can apply some things knowing they're in a moment of deep darkness. And the darkness is not lifting. And we, we can see some things in verses 1 through 8 that we should apply when our darkness doesn't lift. First of all, you'll notice it's always good to see our successes and our victories as from the hand of the Lord. It's one thing that concerns me about the affluence in our nation is we have lost sight of the fact that God is the one who has brought all of the affluence. It's good to remember what God has done and give Him thanks when we see and look back and say, God is the one who has brought about these things. When times are good and when times are not good, it's always good to trace God's hand in victories and successes. And the reason for that is, it postures your heart appropriately in humility. It just does. I, I've said often, uh, I say this a lot, my, my young men who play baseball for me would, would know this, they would hear this from me a lot, especially in light of the fact that our little baseball team has had some success through the years. I tell them often, guys, listen, the test of adversity is not the most difficult test you'll ever face. The most difficult test you'll ever face is the test of affluence and success and recognizing in that moment of comfort that God is the provider of it all and he could rip it away in a heartbeat. 
It's the most difficult test to pass. And here's a question for you to process. When you look back at your past and the victory that you've had or the successes you've had, do you see those as from the hand of God and a gift of God that he could just take away at any moment? Or do you look back and just kind of dabble in your own, look at my wisdom. This came because of my influence or my extraordinary talent in this particular area. And all of which, if we're honest with ourselves, which makes me laugh when I listen to athletes today brag about their abilities, all of which came from the hand of the Lord. Your wisdom, your influence, your intellect, your extraordinary talent, the the very ability to breathe and take in air and see and hear and get up every morning and walk around are all just simple gifts from the hands of God so that when something big drops in your bank account that you could say, if I God gave me the ability to breathe, certainly God gave me the ability to make wealth. When the darkness doesn't lift, friends, it's good for a moment to just step back and say, God, it has been your hand that has caused us to succeed at all. And when we look back at what you've done in the Bible and in the church and in our personal families, we see your hand through it all. But there's something else to learn in light of this historical context. The psalmist is recalling past victories to provide hope for future ones. Donald Williams, writing on this psalm, wrote these words. How do we handle defeat? At this point, the psalmist employed memory of past victories and hope for future triumphs. Moreover, his hope is not wishful thinking, but it's based on what the Lord has done, his word, and his works. Now listen to this. In our darkness, we have the same resources. And just to quote him, as Bob Munger often says, don't doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. So dear ones, is this how you see your past victories? They're they're moments to see God's hand, but they're also moments to point you ahead to potential future victories. Now one thing to ponder about this is maybe for some... The darkness seems so dark because, listen clearly, in our moments of light and success, we've not acknowledged the Lord's work. Maybe God is making the dark so dark so that the darkness will remind you that the only thing you have in this life and the next is the God of the universe so that when the light does shine, you will not forget who brought you out of the darkness. Could your darkness seem dark because when the Lord has blessed you, you've not acknowledged the Lord, nor have you given to the Lord what God has required and asked you to give? Let's assume for a moment that many of us, like the psalmist, we, we have acknowledged the Lord. Yet the darkness still doesn't lift. Well, verses 1 through 8 just give us a great... Reminder that it's always good to just go back in our moments of darkness and rehearse the moments of God's victories for his people in 
in the past, in the church, in the Old Testament, in other places, in the Bible, and as well in your own life, and just trace the hand of God. And just to remind yourself of the hand of God. Have a community member, a, a brother or sister, just point out, I've seen God at work in you and your family this way. Here's how God has worked. It's good to rehearse those things. We can never go wrong rehearsing those things. But there is a caveat to that. And that leads us to our second point. It is not a formula for success or victory. Our second point is present defeats. It's good to rehearse what God has done, but it is not a formula for success or victory. Verses 9 through 22, you're going to see this thing turn really dark. There's a sense in the early part of the psalm that the psalmist thinks. And when you read the text and you understand the backdrop, you begin to feel this a little bit in the text. The psalmist kind of basically seems to assume something. What happened in the past should happen now. And if we just apply the same faith of the people of old, we'll have the same victories that they had. You see the logic. And to be honest with you, I think we're very prone to that in our day and age. There's some who long for the good old days. I hear them from those of you that are generally over 50. The good old days. I remember when we walked uphill both ways to school and the snow came on, you know, right? But the good old days. I mean, the stamps were like three cents, right? I mean, gas was a nickel, right? I mean, who did that? I mean, some of you did. Don't raise your hands, right? I mean, that'll expose some things. The good old days. So we look back and we think, we see the way things used to be, the way we used to do things, and we think. Here's what we think. If we just do those things over again, happy days will return again. The good old days will return. We do this in our faith. In our Western mindsets, which is very linear thinking and logical thinking and very formulaic thinking, we think to ourselves, all I've got to do to have good things happen to me in this life is trust God, read my Bible, do some good deeds for others. Uh, now in the world we're in, manifest certain things, speak them into existence, and voila! Good things happen. I just want to ask you a question. Do you see how formulaic that is? I'm going to use other terms. Do you see how religious that is? Let me use another term. Do you see how legalistic that is? This psalm confronts all of that. In verses 1 through 8, they remembered that God brought success because he delighted in his people. But in verses 9 through 22, it feels as if God has turned his back. Or better yet, he's against them. Notice verses 9 through 14, how the psalmist sees God's hand against them. I mean, look at the phrases. You have rejected us and disgraced us. You have made us retreat from our enemies. You've made us like sheep going to slaughter. You've sold your people for pennies on the dollar. You've made us a laughingstock among the nations. You can feel the psalmist, like in the dust, scratching his head like, Lord, we put our faith in you. We have not trusted in ourselves, but 
We believe that you're the only one to save us, but instead of victory, we're getting mind-numbing defeat. What is the deal? And the psalmist continues his confusion in verses 17 to 21. See, you'd think, wouldn't you, that disdain and derision and disgrace came upon Israel because they turned their backs away from the living God. Verses 17 to 22 tell us otherwise. They had not forgotten their God. They were not worshiping any other gods. They had not departed from his ways. Matter of fact, they even, the psalmist even says, Lord, if we had done all those things, would you not have found that out? You know the secrets of our hearts. Yet still, the darkness did not lift. They were led by the hand of God as sheep to be slaughtered, and they were metaphorically being broken by jackals or wild dogs. See, here's the challenge of this psalm. Israel's defeats in this moment in their history were not due to the simple things. Were not due to their sin or disloyalty to God. They were not due to an attack of the devil, which we love to blame. They were simply due to the fact that God was doing something they didn't understand and their darkness was not lifting. That's all we know. That's all these Israelites knew. There doesn't seem to be any other reason than the fact that God had not let the darkness lift and their enemies were having a heyday. Do you see how raw this is? I see you're you're there. You feel it. See how real this is. This isn't this isn't simplicity. And there's just a few things that we've got to draw out of that section to just think about and linger on for a moment. This section of the psalm shows us that ritualistic, formulaic religion does not help. And as we're a church growing in our understanding of how to help friends, let me say this clearly, pat answers that simply quote little simple cliches or cherry pick our favorite Bible verses doesn't help either. Just doing what the previous generation did doesn't always stop the pain and simply redoing spiritual disciplines that we found success in previously doesn't always bring victory. The psalmist seems to believe if they just did what the past generation did, God would awaken and they would get victory. But here's what we're going to see, and we'll see this in a moment. What this moment is about, and listen very clear, very clearly to this, This is about a faith-filled, spirit-infused relationship with the living God that literally brings us to our knees. It's not about A plus B equals C. This is about the crucified, risen Christ, exalted over all things, that we can personally know and experience the living God in success and in great defeat. It's about knowing Him in a very personal way. That our hearts can cry out to Him in the darkest moments and say, God, please, awaken. We need you. 
It's real. It's raw. There's not a little band-aid you can put on that. It's about a personal relationship with the living God that's not formulaic. But it also shows us that idealism or an idealistic philosophy of the Christian life doesn't help. As a younger Christian and as a younger pastor, I used to think often, if Christians just love God, we loved others, and we're faithful, you know, hard things wouldn't be that hard. We'd always walk in unity together, you know, brothers and sisters kind of hanging out, you know. We'd be singing Kumbaya at the campfire. Churches would grow. Lots of souls would be saved. Here's a question that in my 34 years of Christian ministry has driven to me. What happens when you do all those things and none of that happens? What happens when you faithfully serve on the mission field and you never see one convert? What happens when you faithfully preach the Bible in your church and you do your level best to lead your people with every part of your heart and still division arises? What happens when there's more nuance and shades to life than you ever imagined possible? And you think if that person would just repent... They'd figure it out, but yet you haven't understood the reasons and the issues of the heart of why they're in the, there in the first place. There are times in life that happen that are simply unexplainable. Nothing fits into a nice, tidy box. They're not always ideal. And life on earth, if we're honest with ourselves, is painfully hard and idealism won't cure it it won't help and better yet to be honest with you i think many times it makes it worse but there's one last thing that this section causes us to wrestle with troubles come into our lives for various reasons we talked about this some last week sometimes it's due to choices that we make where we dishonor god and he brings hardship to discipline us in his love to get us to turn Sometimes our adversary, the devil, is trying to discourage us and turn our attention away from the things of God. But sometimes things happen, we don't know why, and listen, there's nothing we've done to cause it. We faithfully serve Christ, love our neighbors, share the gospel, and we never see one person come to faith, and maybe at some point we might even end up in prison. We faithfully teach our kids to love Jesus, serve the church, represent Christ. And I know some of you in this, in this place, you've done that so well. And yet your children not only don't do that, they violently reject what you've taught them. And you come upon Father's Day and Mother's Day and your heart aches because you say to yourself, I'm not a father or a mother, look at my kids. And my response to you has been, and you've heard me say this to you, is, no, you did a great job. Father's and Mother's Day are for you. (laughs) We budgeted, did everything right, faithfully given to the Lord, and we still have the medical bill that's consuming everything we saved. 
and it's keeping us living on a thin razor's edge all the time. Didn't do anything wrong, but still bad things happen. And so here's a really hard question that Psalm 44 just is like loudly saying to us. Do you have a category in your Christian theology and life for God allowing and ordaining hard things for reasons only he knows? Do you have a category for that? You need one. You should have one. And the reason for it is, that is in the Bible. (laughs) It's in the Bible. This is Job's story. No Job's story. Godly man, loved the Lord, offered offerings faithfully, yet he lost everything because the Lord allowed it. The only thing he didn't lose was his nagging wife. I mean... The lady said to him, curse God and die. I mean, what? I, I don't, whoa, you talk about faithful. What? Thank you, honey. That's really encouraging. Appreciate that. But here's what he said to her. To that comment, here's what he said. I love it. I mean, I, I wouldn't ever dare say this to my wife, but you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Let's just stop there. You know, right? All the dudes are nudging their wives. Hey, you listen to that? No. But look what he says next. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? Friends, listen, in in the United States of America, we are so good with receiving good. Hashtag blessed is all over, and you guys know how much I love that, right? Right, we've got it in our office. Somebody put a little sticky note with a hashtag over the blessed sign just for Pastor Dave to walk in and go, yeah, hashtag blessed, right? Or hashtag blessed, as long as everything is good. But what happens when they're not? We don't have categories for this, and we need them. All Job knew was that God was on the throne, he ordained it, he allowed it, and he had to receive it as a gift from God's hand. Wow. Now let's be honest, this is also Jesus' story. And the people who followed Jesus. In that early time, the perfect son of God didn't do anything wrong, never sinned with his thoughts, his words, or his actions, yet all mean people did awful things to Jesus. And then you read Isaiah 53. And it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, God, has put him to grief. And to the people who were at the foot of the cross, weeping like his mama. Can you imagine his mama watching him die on this cruel cross? All she knew, she had no idea what God was doing in the broad scheme of things. Except one thing, her boy's dying. To those who followed him closely, Peter, James, John, who ran out of fear at the end when they heard he died. Can you imagine the bone-crushing weeping that these men did? Oh my word, all they knew was the one they'd followed is gone. That's all they knew. See, do you have a category in your Christian life for God ordaining and allowing hardships for reasons that only he knows, and listen to this, we're going to talk about this one, that are ultimately for your eternal good? You have a category for that. See, do you see why this psalm what it does to you. 
You can feel it. It is raw. It is real. I mean, this is like getting down to flesh, skin, and it's hard. It hurts. It's hard. Let me also say, it's good for us. And there's a reason for that, which is our last point. Prayer for help. You'll see this in verses 23 through 26. The psalmist gets to the end and and he has no place to turn. And he says some things as he cries out and pleads to the living God for help. He says some things that to us seem disrespectful. You know, like, why are you sleeping, God? Rouse yourself. I mean, it's it sounds like God him saying to God, God, get up. Get up from your stupor. What are you doing? But what is revealed here is something remarkably precious that we we cannot walk away from. The psalmist knows his God personally and intimately and trust in his character. Now, listen, if you if you have close friends that are those loyal friends that you've been around, you can say anything to you can at times say things that to others would look like disrespect. But your your friend gets it. They don't judge, criticize you. That's what you see here. This close, intimate friendship of with God, crying out to God as if, God, we need you. Knowing this God and crying out to him intimately, trusting in his character. Listen, even if victory never comes. But he knew where to turn. This psalm is calling the community of Israel to remember the steadfast love of the God of the universe towards them and to cry out to him as their only hope in life and death, their only hope in victory and defeat. Even if defeats continued and the darkness never lifted, their hope was in the steadfast love of the eternal God. Their hope was in this God who has loved them from before time began. They know God has loved us. And God, we cry out to you, wake up! Help us! Is that is that your relationship with the living God? That you could say to Him, God... I don't know why you've allowed this. This is hard. You know it's hard. Help us. Deliver us. Give us wisdom. Direct our eyes to where you would want them to be. We've not turned our hearts from you. Would you please grant victory? But Lord, even if you don't, we will remain here. We're here. Is that your relationship with the living God? Now, if you know your Bibles very well, you're going you're gonna to hear or see in the foreground and hear in the background some music playing of a New Testament text. It's very famous. We use it all the time. That, will, that, that talks about Psalm 44 in the New Testament era. I'm going to read this to you. It's going to come up on the screen. And you tell me if you can't, hear and recognize Psalm 44's raw, real, hard theology being revealed to us. It's a text we love to claim. 
But it came from Psalm 44. Romans 8, verses 28 through 39. Listen to this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. What all things? All things that are from our own sin, all things that are an attack of the enemy, all things that are good, all things that are bad, all victories, all successes, all defeats, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? What things? The things that have happened to us that are good and are bad and are successes and are victories and are for our own sin, yet God uses them to discipline us or things that are from an attack of the enemy that God is using and those things that are just from God's hand that no one knows for God's glory. All things, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, Because why? It was the will of the Lord to crush him. But he gave him up for us all. Why? Because he has put him to grief. How will he not also through him, that glorious king, whom by the will of the Lord was given up, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Oh, dear ones, if you're one of his, who's going to bring a charge against you? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Why? Because we're going through things we have no idea what they're about. And he is pleading with you. Your high priest is interceding before God for you. So therefore, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? Who shall tribulation? Shall distress? Shall persecution? or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And notice what he didn't list. Successes, and achievements, and comfort, and satisfaction. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, which is from Psalm 44, verse 22. No, in all these things... What things? You know what things now. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That does not mean that we will stand up on top of them and raise a big sword and go, look how victorious we are. It means we will get through them by the power of God and conquer them by the power that is working within us. Through him who loved us. For I am sure. Are you sure? That neither death, nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, good, bad, ugly, success, comfortable, what none of those things will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For your steadfast love, O Lord. Do you, do you see? Paul had a category 
for God ordaining and allowing hard things for reasons that only God knew for the good of God's people. Why? Because Paul understood and knew the width and the depth and the height and the length of the great love of God which is found in Christ. He knew it. He was convinced of it. So when defeats happen and he's shipwrecked for three days and he's hanging onto a wooden beam and he's crying out to God, awaken from your slumber, O God, for your steadfast love. Get me to shore, either heaven, if I die here, or to that shore over there. Get me there. But I'm trusting in your steadfast love, oh God. See? Friends, this is why we need this song. Sometimes life just doesn't make sense. Sometimes bad things happen because God ordained them to happen for reasons that you and I do not know. And here's all we can do. Throw ourselves at the feet of the living God. Who has loved us from before time began and will never allow anything to eternally destroy us. And all we can do is cling to the promise that nothing in this life or the next will be able to separate us from him. That's all we can do. So we're going to practice that this morning. We're going to cry out to God. Because in this gathering, there are people here that are facing challenges that are just unimaginable. There are some facing challenges that are really small in comparison to big ones. But those small ones seem huge to them. And those challenges are happening because no one knows except God. There are health issues. There's financial scares. There's family conflicts. But listen, all of it hurts. And if you're in that category, you, you've searched and you've searched and you've searched why and no answers are coming. No sins revealed. It doesn't seem like an onslaught from the devil. There are no answers except defeat and darkness is lingering even though it's 75 degrees outside and the sun's up. And all you have, all you have in this life is the loving kindness of God to fall back on. And can I just say this to you? That is the most sure thing you can have. So we're going to do that together. Here's what I ask you to do. You're in a little row, got people around you. All I want you to do is just get around one another there. Lay hands on one another, and I'm going to pray for us. So let's do that now. Just move. It's okay, right? Just turn around, people around you, give small groups, big groups, whatever it may be. Let's do that together. Mm. Now, brothers and sisters, as, as you're doing this, Listen, as you're doing this, you are potentially putting your shoulders and hands on somebody and next to somebody that you have no idea what they're going through. You might know what they're going through. And so let's pray. Father, the Word of God says...
that you will never leave nor forsake your people because Christ, Christ took that for us. He was forsaken so that we never would be forsaken. He took our sin so that we could have access to your throne. And this morning, Lord, your people, your people, they are in anguish. There, there are, there's families that are hurting. There are moms and dads who have raised their kids to follow you and they're not. There's there's money that is just depleting out of the bank and just running to medical bills or other things that are just pressured. There's jobs that have been lost. There is there's unfaithfulness that has happened. There's friendship disloyalty. And we don't know why. All we can do is lay ourselves bare at your feet and believe one thing. You love us forever. We do pray, God, that you would bring peace to families and bring reconciliation to relationships. We pray that you'd bring bring repentance to, to children who don't know and trust Christ, who have rebelled against you and turn their hearts to you. We, we pray that you would provide and, and bring provision for jobs and money and all the stuff that's needed. We, but our trust is in you, God. That's all we have. And we lay our hearts before you. Comfort your people. Deliver your people. Bring, bring victories to pass. Bring, bring about successes for your glory so that we would look back at the darkness and we say, God brought us out of the darkness and into the light. And we want to marvel at God for the success, marvel at God for the light. But God, we say to you, we say, if, if the darkness lingers, if the defeats still come, though you may slay us, still we will trust in you. Because you are God who has loved us from before time began and you have proven that to us by sending your son for us. We know love by this, that He, Jesus, gave up His life for us. For God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son. For Your steadfast love, O God, deliver Your people. We trust You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.